Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Travelosophy, a podcast about life lessons learnt from travel. I'm your host, Jade Jackson, and in this episode I'll be taking you to New Zealand, where I used to live and where I recently visited. I also have my first interview with Lee, an Englishman who now lives in New Zealand and thinks it's the best country on earth. And of course I'll have some other stories and life lessons from my own travels in New Zealand to share with you. One of my favourite places in New Zealand is Cape Palliser. It's remote, it's rugged, there's no cell phone reception, and whilst it's only two hours from the capital, Wellington, it could be the end of earth and time. It's common to see no one, especially towards the end of the day. The drive is what I class as one of the top drives of the world, because at times it's so close to the coastline that in a storm waves will easily crash over the road. The beach is quite small, with tiny waves and partially black sand from volcanic activity, but it stretches virtually the entire length of the coastline. There's a small fishing village, Nawi, and there's a free campground there that is right at the water. You can throw a line from the beach, and within a couple of minutes catch blue cod to cook for dinner. At the end of Cape Palliser is a lighthouse, with 282 near vertical steps to the top. At the lighthouse, you have 180 degree views of the open ocean. The next piece of land you'd hit in a straight line is Antarctica. A few years ago, when I was living in Wellington, Cape Palliser was my escape from urban life. When work was stressful, or I just needed to get away, Cape Palliser was my go-to, because it genuinely felt like I had left Earth and gone to another planet. On one particular occasion, I was driving back at sunset, the colours went from a rich blue to orange before a green as the sky met the ocean. And I remember driving past a spectacular silhouette of cabbage trees, which, if you don't know what a cabbage tree is, it's basically like something out of Dr. Seuss. It's tall, thin, and it has a big, puffy, spiky ball of leaves, much like a cheerleader's pom-pom at the top. So, at sunset, there was a beautiful silhouette. I slammed on the brakes, reversed the car, and decided, yep, I'd get out and take a picture. As I clicked the shutter, there was movement, and it turned out there was a possum in one of the trees looking out. I knew as I looked at the image in the review screen that I'd captured something truly remarkable. However, on my recent visit to New Zealand, I took another little trip out to Cape Palliser, and I recognised the part of the road where I had taken the photo previously, but the trees were no longer there. I don't know what happened to them, because there was no one around to ask, but that photo I took, no one can take that photo because it would never again be the same with the cabbage trees and the possum. I did take a comparison photo because there was a distinctive rock there as well, but it's really not the same without the trees. I felt really conflicted about this because I was absolutely ecstatic that I managed to capture such a unique moment in time and no other photographer can replicate my photo. But I was also sad that a beautiful view is no longer there. I still remember before I actually stopped to take the photo, I had a moment's hesitation. Eh, should I stop and take a photo? Can I be bothered? I was like, yeah, I may as well. So a split second decision captured something that may never be again. So when you're traveling, especially if you're driving, always stop to take that photo because the view or that moment may not be there if you come back to it again. Also on my recent trip to New Zealand, I did a little road trip to Wanganui and New Plymouth, driving back by the Forgotten World Highway. I've been to Wanganui before, but I've only had, ever had a quick wander around town. 
It's not necessarily high on the agenda of most visitors to New Zealand. Just like Palmerston North, which was also one of my favourite places to go for a weekend away when I was living in New Zealand. New Zealand has many incredible sights. On a short trip, it's tough to cut any itinerary down to a bare minimum. And even on a longer trip, there's usually something you end up missing out on because of time constraints. However, often it's the small, seemingly insignificant towns that can be the most memorable. Take Wanganui, for example. Two and a half hours north from Wellington, most famous for its steamboat cruises along the river. However, you can easily fill a few days there. Always check local newspapers for what's on. Because in Wanganui, the night I was there, there was a local production of Shakespeare in the park featuring The Tempest. We rocked up to the gardens, paid our $20 each at the gate, and parked right near the amphitheatre. It was a little odd hearing Shakespeare with a Kiwi accent, but there's nothing more fanciful than a picnic in the park under the stars whilst being entertained by a Shakespeare play. Down by the river is an arts district, with multiple independent galleries in the surrounding streets, as well as street art along the river. There's a spherical mirror ball, which is kind of similar to a 360-degree camera, in that it allows you to take a large part of the view in a single photo. There's some decent markets with a good selection of incredible food, including homemade cakes, chocolate, as well as plants, custom-made jewellery, and homewares. However, just on the other side of the river is a truly unique attraction. There's an elevator built into a mountain, just to take you up to see the view. It costs $2 each way, however, if you're tight, you can walk up the stairs, but the elevator is an experience in itself. There's a long white tunnel to get to it, which looks like something out of a 60s spy movie. You can take some really interesting photos in the tunnel along the way. And on a hot day, the tunnel is a few degrees cooler, so I can make a nice respite. The elevator has a wooden interior and a lift operator, who apparently has been doing it for over 45 years. It was a little rickety, but considering it was officially opened in 1919, it's pretty incredible to think the engineering still holds strong almost 100 years later. The view from the top overlooks the whole of Wanganui, so you can see where the river meets the sea, the velodrome, and Main Street. Even though I'd stopped in Wanganui before, I hadn't experienced it like a local. And the markets, the Shakespeare in the park, the arts district, all made for a worthwhile visit. But the elevator really topped it off. So, even if there's not many big, famous tourist attractions in a place, it doesn't mean it's not worth stopping at. Because often it's the hidden gems that are the highlight. The ones not in the guidebook, the ones only the locals know about. Another one of my favourite places in New Zealand is the Forgotten World Highway. A 150 kilometre drive between Stratford and Tomaranui through virgin forest, micro-villages and a pub which is a republic that declared itself independent from New Zealand. For $5 you can purchase a passport complete with entry and exit stamps. I've driven the Forgotten World Highway three times, once at night and twice in the day, including both directions, and each time there's always something new I've discovered to stop at. The official guide recommends something like three hours to drive it because it's windy and dirt road in a lot of places. But realistically, you'll need a minimum of half a day, ideally a day, to take in all the sights. The first time I drove the Forgotten World Highway, it was late in the day, and it was mostly dark, so we didn't get to see a great deal. However, one of the highlights is a single lane tunnel that's about 180 metres long. At night, the entrance is covered in glowworms, and there's no light pollution that far out. So on a clear night, you can stand at the entrance to the tunnel, look up and see glowworms beneath a billion stars. 
which is an absolutely spectacular sight, though not the easiest to photograph. The second time I drove the Forgotten World Highway, it was during the day, and I started from Tomaranui. There's more places to stop at from that end, including a lavender farm, a spot to swim in the river, and historical sites like graves set amongst the forest. The third time I drove the Forgotten World Highway, I stopped more often to take photos and captured a single photo which I felt was the essence of what it was to drive the highway. It was a picture of a winding mountain road surrounded by huge tall pine trees and thick ferns. And in the corner, there's a tiny spot of road visible. And on that little piece of road, there's a car that is dwarfed by the surrounding foliage. And I felt it really captured what it is to drive the Forgotten World Highway, being a tiny, insignificant moment surrounded by ancient forest that harks back to what New Zealand was originally like before it was taken over by farming. As you would have picked up, I'm a huge fan of remote locations with few other tourists. And as Instagram makes these locations more famous, it's getting harder to find places untouched by tourism. However, the busiest I've experienced the Forgotten World Highway, there was only about 15 other cars. And the quietest, I saw only two other cars the entire trip. I've actually written a blog post about the Forgotten World Highway, which has more detail and some photos, which you'll find on my website, jjackson.com.au. But the lesson I learned from doing the Forgotten World Highway multiple times is that even if you've done something, been somewhere, ticked off a destination, there is always something new to discover that you may not have noticed before and how you approach it will differ your point of view, such as driving versus walking, taking photos versus specifically not taking photos, just enjoying it, or visiting at different ages, all give you a different perspective of the same location. So pending time, of course, never disregard a place just because you've been there before. Hong Kong is a great example of that. For a tiny destination, it packs a massive array of attractions and sites. And on that, I think I might make Hong Kong and China my next podcast. But before we deviate, next up is my interview with fellow traveller Lee. Lee is originally from England, but now resides in New Zealand. And according to him, it's the greatest country in the world. So tell me, what was your earliest travel memory? So uh, what I remember first would have been my dad worked for an aerospace company back in the UK and he won, for want of a better word, um, a trip for the whole family on a plane. So us with about 100 and so other employees were packed on their new plane that they were developing and flew from the UK to Paris and then France to Spain and then Spain back to the UK. Did you get off at all? Uh, I think we got off and then got back on. So essentially, we were crash test dummies for the day <laughs> on a plane, that and we didn't get to see anything out but the airport. But yeah. like for like someone who was like six, it was really cool. Plus, we got like toy planes and stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And what country have you travelled to that was most memorable, and why? I don't know. I I've been to quite a few, and they're all memorable for their own specific reasons. It's like first time I went to the states and. You know, having grown up watching like all 80s American films, just trying to find somewhere to sell, uh, sell Chinese food in little paper container things and stuff like that. But I, I remember I had that exact same experience <laughs> in New York. Yeah. I went out for dinner with my cousin and there was too much food. Uh, we took the rest home and then they handed it over in those little boxes. I was so excited and my cousin couldn't understand why because she lived in New York. And I was like, but it's like straight out of tv yeah yeah it's all that sort of stuff and yeah 
or looking for batting cages everywhere. But I suppose the main one would have been at the end of uni. My first real travel on my own was into Thailand. And um, again, food. Um, just everything just tasted so much fresher than what I'd been used to and mm. stuff like that. And um, it was more the people that you met as you went along as well. Just conversations with people that I'd never usually cross paths with. So that was like my first real try at that. And have you got a travel uh, experience that I guess taught you a lesson, a life lesson learned from travel? I suppose things I have noticed is that the places I've been, you see a lot of people rushing around with like a top 10 things to do in a country, city, place here. And they're so focused on ticking things off and getting to the next one that they don't appreciate where they are. So I might not see hardly anything of a place when I'm there, but what I do see, I really get to take my time around and I normally find something that I remember a lot longer than, say, a statue of blah. Now that you've lived in Wellington for almost 10 years, that makes you a local, what's something that you'd recommend for any visitor to Wellington to do? that may not necessarily be in a guidebook or a brochure. That's the beauty of Wellington. There's always something for everybody. So, like, if you're a big sports fan, there's, like, the Basin, which is the cricket, which is one of the best cricket grounds I've ever been to. It's so different to everywhere else. If you're more of an outdoor person, there's really good walks in the city or just up the coast. If you just want to chill out, there's coffee places, cafes, Wellington does cafes really, really well. The little cinemas that we have dotted all over the place, like the Roxy, Island Bay, things like that, they're unique and particularly the Roxy has a lot of really cool interior stuff. So all that sort of thing. Plus there's so many little festivals, little shows. So in the time that you've been living in Wellington, you've travelled a lot in New Zealand? Yeah, a fair bit. And... In New Zealand, what's been the one place that really stood out to you that's different to anywhere else you've travelled to? Uh, yeah, I'd never answer in specific. So, like, one place is a nightmare. But um, things that are different to where, like, growing up in the UK, would, a lot of it's to do with tramping and walking. And I'm not the fittest of people, but we go out quite a bit. And um, some of the places that we've managed to tramp to, it, they're just amazing. You can't describe how awesome they are when you're looking at but more importantly there's no one about which is very unusual I've been walking with my wife and separately some mates of mine and we've been out there for like three or four days and you know they've got such a great heart system that it's really easy to to get out there try it you use common sense but the things that you see and do are just amazing on top of that we've got Wanaka's just spectacular Hobbiton up in the North Island so um that's really cool to go and see what it's still about. And, yeah, up in the far north, some of the um, campsites, you wouldn't know the difference between there and a tropical island. So, yeah, there's just a great variety of stuff to see, do. But if you come and travel around here, you'll find your own. Tell me about your trip to Australia, where you didn't see any tourist attractions. Why was that? And what did you do instead? I saw a tourist site. I saw the Opera House. <laughs> As you flew in? By accident, yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, I don't really plan things and then finances <laughs> so uh, like we, I travelled all the way out I, like, me and a guy called Ali drove from Perth to Darwin and then flew down to Alice Springs where I just ran out of money for a while so 
I spent a week in Alice Springs without seeing Ayers Rock, and um, there's not a lot in Alice Springs when you don't go to the rock, so uh, I spent a week looking for a museum that apparently closed down 15 years before. So, uh, yeah, I'd always see something, but it might not necessarily be the thing that you went to see. And last year you did a trip to India. What was the best thing about India? It's so busy. Even though we live in Wellington, it's not particularly a big city compared to Sydney's or London's and things like that, so... It was a bit of a, a shock um, going to India where everything's just moving all the time, all the time. Um, best thing was, yeah, the history was really cool. We got to see a lot of the buildings and things like that. We went on the tour, and I'm not the greatest fan of tours, but um, for the time, we spent about 10 days there, so it was the only way to get through everything we wanted to see. Yeah, there was a hell of a lot. One thing I did find quite funny was... Um, because everybody's trying to get money out of you. It's just the way it goes. But the guide that we were there tried to explain that, um, you know, tourists are just one big pie and everybody just wants a slice of the pie. And he didn't quite understand when I was talking back to him saying that would be fine if I wasn't the pie. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you become quite wary all the time, even though the money that you're not speaking about or you're... Um, you're thinking about isn't that huge from your daily allowance type stuff it's still constant all the time one of the things i noticed when i was in india was uh the first probably three or four days i was in mumbai i was staying in an area that wasn't uh classed as a tourist area and nobody asked me for money Mm. and it wasn't until i went down the main tourist strip that suddenly i was getting asked and harassed for money actually a kind of an eye-opener because then i realized that I took that elsewhere where basically if you stick to where the tourists are, then, yeah, people are going to ask you for money because that's what they expect. But if you keep out of the tourist areas, uh, then you won't get asked for money because it's just locals going about their daily business. I don't mind being ripped off. It's part of travelling. What? But I like people to put a bit of effort into it. So, <laughs> you know, I've had, um, you know, when we were travelling in Laos, um, the border control uh, guards were charging us an overtime fee to process our documents but it was like 10 30 on a tuesday morning so <laughs> i don't know what their hours of working are but if that's overtime i'm in the wrong game that one that's lazy but you know i've had i've been done with good ones like uh, we've had a boat pull up to a village and um we've gone past a perfectly good pier um that would have been easy for us to walk off and the boat is parked up next to this incredibly steep hill well, the locals then suddenly appear to carry your bag up the hill. <laughs> now, and before you can agree to it, they've got your bag and they're up. Now, I, the guy who grabbed my bag at the top, he wanted to carry it all the way to the place we were staying. But I may not be able to speak, but we both knew that I was being stitched. <laughs> and that, that was enough. So we just ended it at the top of the hill. But I don't mind that because that was, that was quite funny because there was a lot of thought that got into it. Yeah. But just charging more for whatever. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that piss me off, yeah. Yeah, you know, or pretending not to have change, that sort of stuff. And where's the next destination on your hit list? We go back to the UK every few years, so we'll stop at random places as we go. There's still places on the South Island I've still got to see, so there's a lot in New Zealand that I'm still touring around. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. No worries. Now, I realise it's near impossible to capture the whole of New Zealand in a single podcast with its stunning mountains, empty beaches and world-class walks. But before I go, 
I'd like to share a poem I wrote in Christchurch. I last visited Christchurch in 2014, a few years after their last major earthquake. And whilst there was plenty of construction taking place all over town, I was gobsmacked that still so much of the CBD was in ruins. And so this poem is inspired by wandering the city late at night. I tend not to name my poems, but for the sake of reference, I've called this The Red Zone which is the worst affected area of the CBD that was closed off to everyone immediately after the earthquake and no one was allowed in for years. It's late, no stars. I count six buildings, not a light amongst them. Graffiti-stained windows separates the abandoned from the dead. Plastic tarps drumming the baseline. Tension builds as the city breathes. I expect zombies at every corner. Not a soul emerges, not even their shadows. A crumb-filled Starbucks plate balances delicately for years. Streetlights red for no cars, disco beats drift on the winds. Pretty reflections cast off muck-filled holes where once stood tall buildings and monuments grand. The sole survivor trips on a bump in the road. Brittle leaves laugh and shimmer behind. Red glow on red bricks screams porn and murder and lies and terror. Hotel curtains speak of life. It's false. Just a white cotton breeze, a smoke-filled breath and an avenue of delirious shame. Every step crunches the only life that remains. It may be broken, they may be blue, this city of crossbeams and struggle, a patchwork of cracks and spaces, some new, others forced, a green thing stands tall. I never took to this southern town, flat and endlessly quiet, but I see it now, its soul bared fresh, thrust up a powerful fist. It's the greenery that matters now, let it grow, so too you will follow. And on that note, thank you very much for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. Be sure to check out my blog post on my website about Cape Palliser and the Forgotten World Highway. You'll find it at www.jadejackson.com.au And if you have your own travel story to share, then click on Submit a Story on my website, which you'll find under the podcast tab. If you'd like to tweet at me, you can send me a tweet at jadikinsjackson. Likewise, if you'd like to see some of my travel photos, you can find me on Instagram at jadikinsjackson or on Facebook at, at Travelosophy Podcast. Thank you very much again for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. Be sure to check out my next podcast on Hong Kong and China. Bye now.